Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Welcome, everyone. So glad you're here. Today we're embarking upon a continuation of our Back to Basics. Every year in January, we present a series that we call Back to Basics. And in four short weeks, you learn everything you need to know about the science of mind. Well, maybe not everything, but at least you get the foundational material of it. So the first week, we talked about God. As with most of the world's religions, we believe that God is all wise, all power, everywhere present. And unique, though, perhaps to the science of mind, we believe that God is everywhere present because God is actually in everything. So every person, every place, everything, every situation, it's all part of God. So God isn't like watching. God is it. God is right in the details. God is right where your thoughts are. When we when we pray, the only person that has to be aware of that prayer is you, because your thoughts are part of God's thoughts. And so that's how we perhaps are a little different in that idea of God being everywhere present, because God's, of course, everywhere present, because God is in everything. Well, last week we expanded that idea of everywhere present to include us. If God is everywhere, that means you and I are also part of God and even acting on behalf of God. So when we're going about our daily business, it is a part of God acting out God's free will. It's why you have the ability to do all of the things you want to do that, that ultimate gift from spirit given to us of our free will. Now, I will mention last week, we also talked about the fact that sometimes our free will can kind of run amok. It isn't always there to serve us in a positive way. Sometimes our free will will allow us to do things that are absolutely against us and other people. And so we have to be mindful of that that blessing, but also that obligation as we're acting on behalf of Spirit. Let us seek our good, but not at the expense of other people. Well, today we're going to add a fourth principle about what we believe in our science of mind philosophy, and it talks about how we interact with God. Let me read from chapter 3 what it does in the science of mind textbook. So this is from Ernest Holmes, the founder of the science of mind, in his, in his famous 1938 textbook. He says, we are surrounded by a mind or an intelligence that knows everything, that this potential knowledge of all things exists in this mind, and the abstract essence of beauty, truth, wisdom, and so on coexist in the mind of the universe. We also exist in it, and we may draw from it, but what we draw from it, we must draw through the channel of our own minds." And you know, one of the sort of catchphrases that he then uses later on in the chapter and that Science of Mind is a little famous for is the idea that our thoughts become things. That those thoughts that are swirling around in our mind or pop in and pop out actually have an effect that that, that law that Nancy talked about in her opening prayer, that law receives those thoughts and acts upon them. 
Well, in lieu of a joke today, I have a hopefully an amusing story. You know, when I very first started, gosh, it must be 10 or 11 years ago, of doing the, these particular series of Back to Basics, uh, someone had asked me, well, Larry, really? You mean like every thought? Every thought is creative? Even kind of some of the random thoughts I have? And of course, I remember all those years ago, I said, well, it's really, you know, it's really just the generalized thought patterns of our mind. It's our general positiveness. It's the thoughts that we hold really close to us. It's not just random thoughts. It's not like if you thought of a blue elephant, you would actually peek out the window and see a blue elephant. And I remember that was my example that particular year. Well, a year passed. Uh, again, this is like 10 years ago. And one of the congregants says, well, are we going to get the blue elephant story today? And so I kind of made fun of it that year. I remember, and if you look out the window, <laughs> I went over to the window and looked out. It's not like you're going to see a blue elephant, just a random thought. But you know, it's interesting because at that point, the idea, at least of a blue elephant, in my mind, wasn't so random anymore. People were talking about it. And so fast forward another year, and I thought, I'll bring up the blue elephant again. And I said that year, it wouldn't surprise me if I looked out the window that I would see a blue elephant. And everybody laughed. Well, it was a rainy, kind of miserable Sunday. And when I went out later in the day to get into my car, I was very annoyed because someone had stuck one of those flyers under my windshield wiper blades. And I thought, oh great, someone's selling automotive parts or who knows what. And so I, I got out in my, my suit looking nice, but the rain's pouring down and I pull it out. And it's a picture of a blue elephant. Someone had, someone had decided, no, we'll prove to Larry, you have enough thoughts of blue elephants, and we'll provide you with one right in the parking lot. Just like you said, if you look out of the window, you might find one in the parking lot. Well, since then, I got to tell you, a year or two later, I even have now my blue elephant mascot. <laughs> someone gave me this, uh, this cute little figurine of Ganesh, one of the, the Indian gods, which is a blue elephant. And since then, I have changed my talk on this particular Sunday of the year. I do believe that every one of our thoughts, even the random ones, even the ones that it's hard to find the meaning of them, do have an effect on your life. Now, some of them, when they're very fleeting and not repeated, you may not notice the effect. But the reason I bring this up is... The reason that this is so important is we need to be good stewards of the thoughts that are going on in our minds. Our thoughts will tend to outpicture. Have you ever really looked forward to something or really put a lot of energy into one particular thought going in your lives, whether it's a positive one or a negative one? I will tell you the more energy, the more repetition, the more consciousness, the more visualization that we put into a thought or belief, the more oomph we put into it, the more personality and warmth we put in it, the easier it is for us to picture in our mind. We're building up what Ernest Holmes called a mental equivalent. And when our mental equivalent is strong and we've weeded out some of the things that are contrary to it, that is the perfect recipe for ushering in that experience into your life. 
I, I would like to say that it's infallible, and I think it is infallible, but what I also know is sometimes it takes a while, right? It took a couple years for that blue elephant to materialize, and so sometimes the timing on it seems more like God's time than your time, but what I do know is that our thoughts become things, that our ability to visualize, accept, and promote in our own mind that which we would like to experience is what will bring that experience through true fruition. It's not magic. It's not mumbo-jumbo. It is what we call the divine creative process. It's interesting, too, you know, Ernest Holmes picked it up almost as a symbol of our movement. And I'll, I'll ask our videographer, Mark, if he would display the symbol that represents the science of mind as a particular religious organization. So it looks a little bit like a circle with three strata or three lines in it, and then a V, a descender, which shows what Ernest Holmes called the descent of thought into form. So let me really quickly talk about this symbol because it, it not only stands for the science of mind, but it also illustrates this divine creative process. So the top third of the symbol represents our thoughts, the middle strata or the middle layer. In fact, you can think about it as one of those uh, three cheese dips that has three layers. The middle layer of our dip is what we call the divine creative process. And then the bottom layer of it is what is manifested. And that V represents the idea that we place our thought into this divine creative process. And then something will manifest out into the world as a result of it. So our thoughts do become things. You can almost think of it as a gardening metaphor, if you like. We plant a seed in at the top, a seed hopefully of love and light, thoughts of joy and peace that enters into the divine creative process, that middle layer of the symbol. And then, and then we get to experience that in the world. We get to, to really relish and experience that love, that peace, that joy, whatever we planted in to the top of that. And just with the assurity that if we plant in the ground a, a camellia seed, we'll get a camellia plant, or if we plant a rose seed, we'll get a rose bush, so we can be content and confident that if we plant joy into our mind, if we plant peace into our mind, those are the kinds of experiences that we will get to have more of. It's just simple, and that's why we call it that divine creative process. It's why we call it a law. It works for everyone. It works with consistency and so on. Now, the other thing that I often get asked is, well, Larry, if this is true, then why is there so much trouble in the world? Why do we not see people just wandering around in bliss all of the time if it's that simple? Well, it is that simple, but it doesn't mean that people consciously take advantage of it. You see this process, the divine creative process, it's working whether you're aware of it or not, and it's working whether you're conscious of using it or not. 
So how many of your thoughts are actually conscious? You know, they did a study not too long ago, brain scientists, and they, they discovered that upwards of 80% of our thoughts are just pretty random. We're not actually in charge of thinking things on purpose. We tend to just repeat the same thoughts over and over again in our mind. And, and there's no trouble, of course, with being on autopilot a certain amount of our lives. That's what gets us through some really boring situations at life. I get that. But what I also get is that if sometimes those thoughts that are running around in our head are thoughts of worry or trouble or sadness or despair, it's like we're putting into that divine creative process the exact things that we would hope not to experience. But the law doesn't know any better. When we place into that law, into that divine creative process, thoughts of worry and negativity, the, uh, the scenarios that we don't want to play out, unfortunately, those too will attract to us even the things that we don't want to experience. So back to my metaphor of the idea of planting a seed in the soil and, the, and making sure that it's the kind of garden you want to have. Well, obviously, we don't purposefully go around planting seeds that are going to produce weeds, right? That would be the gardener's nightmare to open up a package of seeds and you're hoping and thinking it's nasturtiums and instead it's nettles or something crazy like that. So I would suggest we have to choose our seeds, our thoughts, our beliefs pretty carefully or we're going to get a mess. Right now in America, I know a lot of us as we, we head into the inauguration of a new president, a new four years of a, of a different kind of leadership in Washington, I know right now the country is somewhat divided over that. There are many, many, many people very consciously in their minds wanting that to happen. And another group of people, a large number of people, wishing that something different were happening. We're all putting into that divine law of creation different ideas of what should happen. It's like we're, we're throwing pretty randomly seeds of, of trouble and despair. And, uh, and at the same time, some people are super happy with what's going on, right? And so you have this, this amazing garden that could exist, and instead all of us are pretty randomly throwing our own seeds at it with a lot of emotional impact. And I got to tell you, what that's apt to produce is a mess. So if you, if you want to ask me, why does God allow what happened last week in Washington, D.C.? I would say God didn't allow it or disallow it. It was simply the divine creative process at work. All of us coming to different conclusions and different thoughts and different beliefs about what is true and what is good will produce a mix-up, will produce a mess. Now, what doesn't have to happen, though, is the amount of emotional energy that we put into it. When we use the divine creative process with a lot of emotional energy, that's kind of like the gasoline. That's kind of the fuel that allows that to, to quicken and go faster and be more pronounced. And what I would say, now is a time perhaps more of moderation of some of our thoughts. 
Back to the talk last week, we said, can my good come at the expense of no one else? Can I not achieve my goals and my desires without harming anyone else? And so that would be the question as we're, we're doing our gardening bit, as we're curating the thoughts that we wish to experience out in the world, we should ask ourselves, if my dream were to come true, if my heart's desire were to play out, can I make sure that other people's dreams, other people's heart's desires can likewise come true? Shall I not think that my good has to come at the expense of someone else? As we use this law, as we use this wonderful divine creative process to make our lives better, to enrich the world, let us be careful about that use. First of all, let's not put things in it that will harm ourselves and others. Let's try to disrupt any cycle of worry and tragedy that's running around in our heads. Because if we worry that the worst is going to happen strongly enough, it will tend to produce negative outcomes for us and other people. Let us instead move our thinking towards the positive. What would be the best outcome for everybody? How might we hold up this situation on high through the eyes of love and joy and peace? And then what will happen is those will be the qualities of our own experience of the world. And it will tend to promote those qualities for other people as well. And if we start seeing our good as being limiting to other people, let's revise that. Let's think again about that. Let's decide in our own heart that we all can be raised up, that no one need be marginalized or suffer. Well, we've added a fourth key principle to our beliefs. Let me recap all four of the primary picture of God and spirituality that we've built up this month. We believe that God is all wise, all power, everywhere present. Also, God is eminent, that it's present in the here and now. And you'll notice I'm calling God it, not he, not she, not some superhuman guy sitting on a cloud judging us, right? everywhere present. And also we're each an individualized spirit, each one of us acting on behalf of God with the free will that God has so purposefully given to us. Today we added a fourth characteristics that God responds to our thinking, that in fact our thoughts become things. If we spend a lot of time thinking about the positive, thinking about how our lives can be enriched, thinking about the goodness and joy that were promised in so many of the world's scriptures, well, that will tend to be our experience of the world. If we focus overly on, the, on our friend the blue elephant, yes, one may even end up appearing in the parking lot, much to our surprise. And unfortunately, if we focus on something negative, if we worry about our life unfolding in a negative way, that too is apt to outpicture in a way that may be unexpected, but nonetheless, maybe should be expected. If our thoughts become things and our thoughts are negative, to a degree we can almost expect them to be a witness to negative things. 
I have some homework for you, and I think it'll be fun. You know, one of the other things that Ernest Holmes, the founder of the Science of Mind, was famous for was doing a little bit of a dare scenario. Like, I dare you to prove this to yourself. He was very much for one for saying, you know, you don't have to believe anything that we say. This is just really more a philosophy rather than a dogmatic religion. And in a philosophy, it's very common to want to prove some of the beliefs to yourself. And so I would like to issue to you today the Ernest Holmes challenge as part of your homework. And the challenge is a simple one. Take any area in your life where there's some kind of a situation that you'd like to improve. So it could be a health situation that you'd like to improve. It could be a work situation that you'd like to improve. Maybe there's an, a, a relationship that you'd like to take to the next level of love and intimacy. Just pick an area in your life where you'd like to see some improvement. And then here's the challenge. Three times a day, bring into your mind a successful enhancement or resolution of that particular issue. So let me give you an example of how you might accomplish that. First thing in the morning when you get up, picture in your mind's eye that particular situation just as good as it could possibly be. So if it's a relationship, picture it just marvelous, that, that ultimate friendship, that great love. If it's a working situation, picture in your mind's eye that working situation as, as outstanding as it could possibly be, that it has the, the benefits you want and the coworkers that are all copacetic and that it's really using your talents and so forth. Whatever, whatever that situation is, its highest and best could look like. That's what I'd like you to do first thing in the morning. Just spend maybe five minutes first thing in the morning imagining that that situation in your life is completely healed or completely enhanced. Then what I'd like you to do is about four hours later, you know, kind of noonish, one o'clock, when you get to take a break in the afternoon, I'd like you to sit down and just repeat to yourself a few things about that particular situation. You might say to yourself, my relationship with my spouse has never been better. My relationship with my job is first rate and the job gives me great satisfaction and I'm rewarded with amazing benefits. So just say to yourself, and if you can, even say it out loud, because I think there's a, a positive impact of even repeating things out loud. You get to hear it as well as picture it in your own mind. But anyway, just again for about five minutes midway through the day, make a few statements, either mentally or verbally or both, about that situation in its most beautiful outplaying. So you might say, this particular issue is perfectly resolved. My health is robust. I have all that energy I wish to experience. What, whatever it is, and however you would like that situation to be enhanced or resolved. And then the third part of it, because I'm asking you to do this three times during the day, uh, maybe right before you retire, if you would, just write down, take a, a pad and pencil maybe next to your bed, or you could do it uh, on, on a tablet or on your phone even, and just write down again three things or four things about this situation, visualizing it and seeing it in its perfect outcome. So you might write down in your, in your journal, 
journal that night. I see my relationship as completely loving and supportive. I see my relationship as being ever stronger. I feel a love for my friend that is deep and complete. Now, how do we take that Ernest Holmes challenge? We do that just for a week, and then we simply evaluate it. Is this situation improved? And so I'm hoping that some of you next week, maybe in the comments on Facebook Live, or maybe you would uh, send me a little email and see how taking the Ernest Holmes challenge works out for you. My experience is that just through doing this simple thing, now remember, we've only allocated, what, 10 or 15 minutes a day to doing this? And yet, by focusing our mind on something beautiful and wonderful, Oh my gosh, the difference that it can make. All right, I'm going to close with a final reading from the book today and a prayer. This is how Ernest Holmes closes out the chapter on what it does. When we think something happens to our thoughts, the field through which thought operates is infinite, and there's no reason to doubt this. Here and now, We are surrounded by and immersed in an infinite good. How much of this infinite good is ours to experience? All of it. And how much of it may we have to use today? As much of it as we can think of and embody. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence one life, one love. There's only this thing called God, and I live in the midst of it and work on behalf of it. And as it is true for me, it is true for everyone, everyone present. Everyone in the planet has this capability of co-creation with God as we begin working through our thoughts and our beliefs, as we begin present what we wish to experience, as we begin thinking of the good life, as we begin thinking of wonderful relationships, as we begin speaking about our joys and our dreams, what I know is that God takes those thoughts and makes them real. Our thoughts become things. And so I'm grateful for this knowledge, grateful that we all might more consciously use this particular divine law of creation. I'm grateful for for everyone participating in it more willingly. Of course, it's working whether we believe in it or not. It's working whether we're aware of it or not. But our ability to use it purposefully becomes stronger and stronger. And for this, I give great thanks. For this, I I have some assuredness as I set this prayer into motion. I release it into that divine law of creation, knowing that it is done unto me as I believe. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. every Sunday. We also have many programs, classes, and workshops developed just for our online audience. 
To find out more, go to our website at cslportland.org and look under the Online tab. We have a variety of content dedicated specifically for our podcast listeners. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at cslportland.org slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended spiritual community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.